Live from Lisbon, this is The Twilight Show with Lucy Newberger. Good evening, everybody. It's me, Lucy Newberger, and we're here for Tuesday's Twilight Show. Live from Lisbon, this is The Twilight Show with Lucy Newberger on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ptradio.org or to join Download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. You're back with me, Lucy Newberger. It's Tuesday. It's the Twilight Show. And today we are going to be talking about the problem that teachers have with teaching PSHE. Now, I appreciate that a lot of you tuned in to listen to this show last week and it didn't end up going ahead. But fingers crossed we're going to be able to proceed without any difficulties this evening and that everything is going to go to plan. So I have my mug of Earl Grey, I'm sitting comfortably, I hope you are too, I hope you're also ready to tell me shortly what you're having for dinner, and then we are going to crack on with this evening. There's a lot to pack in, so I'm going to try and keep the pre-waffle to a minimum, because as well as my two fantastic guests, Jess and Dina, who have very kindly agreed to come back after last week didn't go to plan, uh, I've also got a, a short chat, short pre-recorded chat that I had with Lisa Handy from Quorum, Quorum Life. Uh, so I'm going to play that to you as well. So plenty to be getting on with uh, in a short while. But in the meantime, you know I can't resist a little life update. So I'm going to start with that. Um, since I last spoke to you or tried to speak to you, I have completed, finally, the Lisbon Half Marathon. So I really do need to find something else to talk about. Um, I have actually already booked another race. And uh, my colleague Ben today was trying to tempt me with another half marathon in Porto. So we shall see how many of those I end up doing. I don't want to overstretch myself. But the Lisbon Half Marathon... Of course, it ended up being on the hottest weekend of the year so far. And it was it was great times. I mean, I turned up to the start line, which is on the far side of the 25th of April bridge. And honestly, turning up at the station there and walking up to that start line and seeing that bridge in the distance was really quite cool. And something that I've never experienced before. I mean, start lines in, in road races tend to be quite generic. It's just usually a kind of pre-constructed uh, inflatable archway and off you go. But no, this was the magnificent spectacle that is the, the 25th of April bridge. Uh, but even start, start oh, I can't even articulate, even standing on that start line, I knew straight away, because it was about 20 past 10 when they set us off, I knew that the personal best that I was secretly hoping for but not really pinning too much hope on was was out the window temperatures were already in the mid 20s and pushing upwards as the minutes seemed to tick by so I stood there and I thought I'm just going to enjoy myself 
And for the first 10 kilometers, I did. First 10 kilometers uh, over the bridge was fantastic. I was on the side facing Belém, so I could see uh, all the monuments and things like that. I was looking out across the river. Amazing scenes, incredible scenes. And uh, trotting along, kind of getting into a nice rhythm, thought this is great, I'm well fueled, I'm well hydrated, I'm having a lovely time. People were, people were standing on the side of the road cheering us on, there were bands playing, it was fab. Then came the second 10K and honestly the heat was really, really starting to get to me at this point. 13 kilometers came and it was really starting to, to to rack up it was i was starting to feel quite quite hot and sweaty and the 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 part of the issue with this route for the lisbon half is that it actually takes you past the finish line and then loops you back round when you finish so you see it as you're kind of i don't know about 13 14 kilometers in you think oh wonderful still so much to go I think it was about 16 kilometers that my soul To be honest, there were fifty people in me who think I make it all broke. I thought that it's good enough for them. It's good enough for me down upon staying dehydration, all sorts of things. So it was an adventure, and I'm glad I did it. And uh, on to the next one. Uh, friend of the show, Lawrence. Hey, welcome as always. Madness that you've already booked another half marathon. Well, you've got to have something to aim for, Lawrence. And you've got to have something to focus your energy into because otherwise you go off the boil. Having said that, I haven't actually run since the half marathon. And I was meant to go today and then time ran away from me. Ha, ha, ha. That was an accidental funny. I'm sorry about that. It was a terrible pun. I apologize. <laughs> so I'm going to go for my first run post half tomorrow and I'm sure I will let Twitter know how that goes. I've been walking, I haven't been sedentary or anything like that. I've been walking and kind of keeping moving, but I haven't quite managed a run yet. But we're going to go for it tomorrow, post staff meeting, which will mean I'm going to need the boost anyway, because we all know that staff meetings tend to uh, be quite tiring. Um uh, Be the change has just said, well done for doing it. Big pat on the back or big back pat. Thank you for that. That's fantastic. Oh, I appreciate that. What else has gone on? Oh, of course, at the weekend, it was the greatest night of the year. And I have no shame in saying this. I don't know if I've talked about how big of a Eurovision fan I am, but I am. I'm going to tell you, I love it. I know it's ridiculous. I know it's silly. I know that political agenda often gets in the way. I know that Greece and Cyprus will always give each other douze points, but so what? So what? And what was lovely about it this year is that it all seemed to be back to normal. It was as ridiculous and nonsensical and magical and glittery as ever, and I loved it. However, of course, you always get people who are negative about things. You always get people who are going to kind of try and stick their oar in over something else. And of course, with the UK doing as well as they did, spoiler alert, we came second, which 
And some people were saying that uh, Ukraine shouldn't have won, that there was that it was politically motivated. Who cares? There's enough going on in the world without the Euro Eurovision to me is meant to be about bringing people together under rainbow and sparkles and all that is ridiculous about life and the world and just to have fun it's not meant to be a political statement and i know some people treat it as that and i know there are people out there who disagree with me but i i loved it i thought ukraine deserved the win uh it was everything that we love about eurovision you know it had uh it had the folk instruments in there it had the dancing it had it had the catchiness and to be honest i think that if you ask Sam Ryder, who sang for the UK, I think he'd probably say the same thing. And he's made for life anyway. He's had the best Eurovision result we've had in years. So take it, run with it, and let's move on, people. And uh, whether we end up with Eurovision in Kiev next year, who knows? But in the meantime, I thought it was great. So enough on that. Um, it <laughs> Lawrence, it had it had the ballads. Yes, there were too many ballads. Honestly, it was. Uh, I don't. I don't know why. I mean, I know occasionally they do well, but for some reason, I just. Yeah, for me, it's all about the more ridiculous, the better. But anyway, moving on. So, in the last bit of this intro, because I don't want to take up too much of your time with this, what I will say is please let me know what you're having for dinner. My guests. Um, I actually forgot to remind them that I was going to ask them this, but. Uh, Please do let me know what you're having for dinner. I, to be honest, haven't got that far yet. I've got as far as the mug of Earl Grey in front of me, which I know makes me sound about 95, but I like Earl Grey and uh, it makes me happy. And it actually allows me to gabble at you for an hour and a half because I find it quite soothing. So I'm going to enjoy that as I'm, as I'm talking to you. Uh, be the change saying I'm having, oh gosh, Salmorejo de Remola. Remolcacha. I've probably just absolutely murdered that be the change and I'm incredibly sorry. That sound that was kind of the worst sort of uh British person trying to say something in I believe that looks like Spanish to me. I could be wrong. Please do correct me if I'm wrong. I I, I have no shame there. Uh cold beetroot and tomato soup. So almost gazpacho-esque, maybe. So I'm guessing that might well be Spanish. It is Spanish. Oh, fantastic. So, uh, and I apologise for the absolutely murderous pronunciation there. Please do forgive me. So, yes, anyone else who wants to let me know what they're having for dinner, please, please do. And apparently it is. The uh, the cold beetroot and tomato soup is gazpacho-esque with breadcrumbs too. Sounds absolutely fabulous. Please share the recipe with me at a later date. So, what I'm going to do next is I'm going to have a quick news break. Then what I will do is I will play you that interview with Lisa Handy. So uh, Jess and Dina, I hope you don't mind hanging on a little bit longer. Um, I'm sure that uh, you'll you'll pick up some points in, in Lisa's interview that maybe you want to discuss as well. And then I'm going to get you two on to have a chat with me about PSHE in more detail. So uh, by all means, go and get yourself a drink or stay with me and listen to the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. 
They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves that's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care we need people like you to help us achieve even more with us you'll be given all the resources and support you need offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to a leaked document, senior officials at the Department of Education in England have warned that schools are in such a state of disrepair that they are a risk to life. Those officials who work for the Education Secretary, Nadeem Sahawi, have warned that the current pace of 50 school rebuilding projects per year needs to be raised to more than 300. A spokesperson for the Department of Education told the Mail Online, the safety of pupils and staff is paramount. We have one of the largest and most comprehensive estate condition data collection in Europe and this allows us to assess and manage risk in our buildings. We prioritise buildings where there is a risk to health and safety and have invested £11.3 billion pounds since 2015 to improve the condition of school buildings over the next decade. In addition, our new school rebuilding programme will transform the learning environment at 500 schools over the next decade.
a statement from the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge University, which recently told private schools that they will need to accept that they will admit fewer students to Oxbridge in the future. Education Secretary Nadeem Sahawi has responded by saying that admissions should be based on merit and evidence. He said, I think it should be based on merit and evidence. The thing to do is deliver great outcomes for all children, wherever they live and especially our most disadvantaged children, which is why I am flexing the system towards those areas that have fewer great schools or good outstanding schools. You don't create a system that people feel is fair and equitable by in some way thinking that there is an easy fix. The best thing you can do is create schools in the state system that are as good as independent schools, which we are. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to talk about a couple of shortcuts and hacks that can make life a little easier. This may not be as innovative as some of my past life hacks for teachers, like drinking noodles, but here are a couple of things that may make a difference to your use of media in the classroom. First up, if you aren't already riding it, get on the Wakelet Wave. Wakelet is a free way to save, organise and share content create collections of web pages, videos, and basically anything with a web address under one topic. Once done, you have a shareable link to your collection. Use it to organize your lesson, flip a lesson, or create revision collections, just to throw a few ideas out there. This next hack is one of my favorites. I love using YouTube to support learning. Not only can it help keep pace in a lesson, but also it's a great reference afterwards for pupils to refer to. My biggest gripe with it though, is that pesky advert you can't skip that always decides to play when you're in full flow. Here's a secret that works nearly all of the time. When preparing your lesson, you will have watched the clip anyway to ensure it's appropriate. So just before you copy the link into your presentation or wakelet, type this on the end, and T equals one. That's the ampersand or the wiggly and lowercase t equals and the number one. Now copy the URL with and t equals one on the end and your clip will start one second in. Not missing any content but skipping the adverts at the start. No need to thank me. Show your gratitude with a follow on Twitter. Check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. You're back with me, Lucy Newberger. It's Tuesday, it's the Twilight Show, and as always, Two Minute Tech absolutely giving me life. Um, I've actually used Wakelet quite recently in class for children to do blog posts linked to space, and they were brilliant with it. So I do, I'm a big Wakelet fan, and I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it if you've not had a chance to use it. Create yourself an account, go and have a play, and find a way to integrate it into your teaching. You will not regret it, I promise. Back to the matter in hand though. So before I launch into the show's topic properly this evening, I just want to give a bit of background first of all, just so we're all on the same page and we all understand what, what it is we are discussing. It's always a good jumping off point, isn't it? So PSHE, what is it? Most of you know already that PSHE stands for Personal Social Health Education. And it's something that I believe, and you'll hear Lisa talk about this in a moment, 
only became statutory, I think, a couple of years ago. And she may correct me when you listen to the interview in a moment, but I believe it was only, yeah, only 2020 that it became a full part of or a necessary part of the curriculum. Um, but I don't know about you. I've always had a little bit of difficulty with it. I've always found that it's something that gets either shoved into PPA and someone else teaches it for you, or it's kind of done in your form time if you're a secondary teacher, or it gets forgotten about altogether. But why is this when it's such an integral part of of our education, of of day-to-day life? And I wanted to explore this a little bit further. And I found uh, an article from Oh, 2018. It's a garden. Guardian. Garden? Honestly, I don't know what I'm saying sometimes. Guardian. <laughs> I just need to slow down, I think. It's been it's been quite a week already, but let's breathe, slow down, and try that again. Guardian article. And as always, anything that's mentioned, any links, anything that is referred to in the show, I will put in my show notes. So, uh, where have we got to? Ah, yes. So this was a secret teacher article entitled uh, Students Need PSHE Guidance, but I'm not equipped to give it. And I'm not going to read you the whole article, but the, uh, the, the opening line says, in my past role as a form tutor, PSHE teaching was not my passion. It filled me with dread, not because I didn't see the value of it. I did, but because I didn't have a clue. I'm an English graduate and an English teacher. I didn't sign up for anything else. With the pressures to achieve high grades, mark extensively according to school policy and stay on top of lesson planning, PSHE has just added stress. And as a primary teacher, I can say the same thing. You know, we're we're trying to plan and mark core subjects. We're trying to make sure that uh, everything else gets included as well and is fitted into the timetable. And it just falls by the wayside. So what I wanted to unpack and the reason I wanted to speak to a variety of people about this was to see why there is such a problem with PSHE, with primary and secondary teachers. But instead of focusing on the negative, I wanted to know how we can improve this. I want to know how we can, as part of Teachers Talk Radio, CPD ourselves out of this, because there has to be a way forward and there has to be a way we can make PSHE more of a feature and be better ourselves. So what I'm going to do, first of all, is I'm going to play you, I believe it's about 15 minutes long, uh, the interview that I did with, with Lisa Handy, who works for an organisation called Quorum Life. What I will say to you is that the uh, social media links she gives, I don't think are correct, but I will ensure again in my show notes that they are correct and that you can go and find her and that you can go and find Quorum Life as well. Uh Philip Clark's just come in, uh, listening from Chester in the UK. Is PSHE the modern equivalent of what was PSE when I was at school? Uh, Philip, I believe so. Um, I don't know. I I don't want to say that you're from a, a an older generation than than me, um, but I think you you might be. If anyone can can say whether they they are the same thing or not, I'm guessing probably probably, but uh, I'm hoping that it has evolved since you were at school. And I think it has probably evolved since I was at school. But let's let's find out from from our various guests. So please enjoy this interview with Lisa Handy. And I'm sure my other two guests when they come on after this will uh, pick up on some things as well. 
Hello everybody, I am here with Lisa Handy who's very kindly said she would join me this evening to talk about PSHE in a little bit more Hi Lisa, how are you doing? Hi Lisa, I'm good, thank you. So yeah, so I'm Lisa Handy, I am training and program manager because corruption and fostering. Fantastic. And so this whole episode that we're talking about is, it came from the idea that I and a, and a lot of teachers I know find the delivery of PSHE and what to teach and how to go about it quite tricky. But I want to know from you sort of how you feel PSHE fits into the curriculum or the British curriculum as a as a whole. Sure. Well, we know for a long time that schools have been delivering personal, social health, economic education. And, you know, there's been certain um, legal status attached to some of the aspects of, of that uh, subject. So, for example, when we think about relationships and sex education, you know, a lot of what fits under that subject will come under science, you know, national curriculum science. So if a school is um, required to teach the national curriculum, then they'll, you know, they'll be delivering aspects. And we know that, you know, PSHE is um, very much, you know, a cross-curricular subject, but also, you know, it, it needs to be recognised as a subject in its own rights as well. And, and I think in order for it to get the status it deserves, um, we have to recognise that while so many aspects of it will feel you know has links to all areas of the national curriculum um that you know time needs to be dedicated and protected for it as a subject as well because i know i mentioned to you uh, while we were chatting before we had this conversation that in my experience pshe is that subject that gets either put into people's ppa time and maybe taught by a ta or it's kind of tacked on to the end of a day I know that currently I only have half an hour for it in my timetable, sort of after the library. And by the time we get back and, and get started, it maybe gets 10 or 15 minutes, which is shocking given that it's such an opportunity to be able to teach children about all sorts of aspects of life. And as you say, make those cross-curricular connections. So it's, it's, it's sad to me that in a way I'm kind of starting from this negative point, but I know that we're going to turn this into a positive, which I'm very excited about. But why do you think teachers have difficulty with it? From your point of view and from your discussions with, with people that you've spoken to, what do you think has, has gone wrong here? Well, I think what, firstly what we need to recognise is the majority of the subject has now been made statutory. So when we think about relationships education and health education in primary schools and relationships and sex education and health education in secondary schools, and you look at what would be considered a good comprehensive PSHE programme, um, the majority of it has been made statutory. So that's a great start. You know, that happened in September 2020. Um, and obviously because of the pandemic, we've had a bit of a, a slow start perhaps. Um, in implementing those statutory requirements, but you know things are you know things you know we've been doing this for a while now. We'd like to start to sort of see um, you know it being given the status it deserves. So, in order for the subject to be delivered 
you know, in a way that is, is you know, is about meeting the statutory requirements, but also about meet, meeting the needs of the children, we need to have trained teachers. Now we know um, that, um, you know, very little time in initial teacher training is dedicated to PSHE. So, you know, to ask people to, you know, teachers to lead on a subject that they haven't had any training for is a big ask. And so, therefore, you know, we need, you know, we do look at what the government has provided since the, the subject has been made statutory, but we're not really seeing that having any real impact um, on the confidence and skills of teachers. And I say that as we, as being Quorum Life Education, because um, we offer um, a lot of training to teachers around PSHE delivery, but also in particular RSE, uh, Relationships and Sex Education, because that's where teachers tend to feel most nervous about delivering and making sure they get it right. Um, and that the, you know, that parents, for example, feel comfortable and understand exactly what they're teaching and why they're teaching it. Um, and, you know, eventually to, to meet the needs of, of the pupils. So really what I think what, what's going on here is this um, um, is, is needing to kind of reflect on how much training has been offered to teachers since it's been made statutory. And, and is it the right kind of training? You know, when we look at um, the DfE website um, and what kind of training has been offered, we see that there's lots of PowerPoints um, around, you know, what's statutory and what needs to be included. So there's a real focus there on the knowledge aspect of the subject, but not necessarily the skills needed to deliver the subject or thinking about the, the attitudes and values that we need to sort of consider as part of delivering the subject as well. And I think, you know, it's really important teachers are given the right kind of training, which is, which is just like PSHE, you know, that's interactive, that gives them time to explore their own attitudes and values when it comes to certain subjects within, you know, within the wider subject so that they know how they feel and then they know, then know how to be able to facilitate discussions um, without, you know, their own personal opinions coming through, you know, that they'll be able to be partial in those discussions that they facilitate with young people. So they can help the children and young people themselves develop the skills to recognize that we're all, do, do, you know, different and unique and special. And, um, you know, what, what might be the right choice for us may not be the right choice for someone else. And we can respect that that person may make different choices, different life choices um, to us. So you can see there that, you know, as you, you sort of start to unpick it, you realize what needs to be invested in terms of time and resources so that teachers do feel confident to deliver the subject effectively. And we often come back to, I mean, in the uh, my regular listeners will know that the CPD issue, and it's actually something I've talked about as an entire show, uh, it comes up time and time again, the fact that, and initial teacher training as well, something else I've talked about in great detail, that it's there are things that get an awful lot of energy and an awful lot of airtime which and rightly so but i'm trying to think about my teacher training and i don't actually remember it coming up at all i'm sure there must have been sessions in there but the fact that i'm struggling to pinpoint where it's featured and the same with cpd i'm struggling to pinpoint where I've received any training on that. I mean, I've only been teaching six, seven years, but even in that time, that's still a kind of a good chunk of time where you think, well, hang on a minute, how has that never come up? How has that never been a thing? And it's it's worrying to me, particularly when, you know, the world is changing all the time. Of course, we've been through 
or we're still going through the kind of tail end of this pandemic and the, the the mental health implications and things that come with that. And I think PSHE is, is such an evolving subject as well. And I think the this this fear has 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 set in where we kind of think, oh gosh, you know, we're gonna say something wrong. I think as teachers we're so conscious of the idea that, you know, we're going to put our foot in it in some way because we're not kind of quite sure what to lean on or what to use as guidance. And I don't know if you've sort of seen that as well and seeing that that's where that fear is coming from. Yeah, no, absolutely. There is there's a real um pressure that I see on teachers to want to get this right. Um, and to say the right thing and at the right time. And that's that's the thing that um, I think certainly from our experience as, as, uh, as supporting many primary schools within um, England and um, Scotland is that we, um, you know, primary schools come to us, uh, teachers come to us and they want to know what an age appropriate uh, relationships and sex education program looks like for example and you know and we can you know we rely on international evidence which um, UNESCO has provided to us in terms of what an age appropriate sexuality education program would look like and we can use that as a guide to help us structure what um, you know what a, an age appropriate curriculum would like you know spanning through nursery through to you know um, 16 and beyond um, and recognize that this is lifelong learning and almost really to just sort of take the pressure off teachers in a way to say, actually, we may not have all the answers to the questions that children ask us, and that's okay, because as you've just said there, the world is always evolving. You know, a new slang word might come up for something, you know, that a teenager, you know, might ask us in year nine, for example, and we may not know what it means, and that's okay. And just to sort of take that pressure off and say, actually, in terms of developing a relationship with the young people in our class where they can trust us to know that we are going to provide them with honest factual age appropriate answers you know means to say actually put your hands up and say actually that's a really good question i don't know what the answer is but i'm going to find out for you and i'm going to get it to you and that is going to you know that's going to develop that trust with between you and your class rather than trying to sort of fluff it and and, and sort of come up with some kind of answer so it's sort of just reminding teachers and, and hopefully relieving some of that pressure while still obviously needing to know what your lesson plan is and what you're trying to achieve, but be, you know, being open to the idea that we might not know everything and that's okay. Um, I really welcome young people asking me questions that I don't know the answer to, because I just see it as an opportunity for me to learn more as well. You know, they've obviously identified something that, you know, I'm not familiar with, or, I, uh, you know, that I um, that might be a little bit rusty about that I haven't done for a while. And it gives me an opportunity to just go up and read up about it. And then that, then you know things may have changed and and that's great and then i learn they learn and it's that learning process and i it may be that you don't sort of get that in other subjects and I, and i think that's something we really want to help teachers to understand to build their confidence um to to feel okay with delivering the subject and certainly you know that that trust is never more vital i think than when you are approaching things like that come under PSHE, that the, the puberty and the sex education as we sort of touched on already. And if that trust isn't there to begin with, then that already is a sort of, a, I mean, it's already an awkward conversation, particularly kind of year five, six level, and even actually going forward into secondary. And I think, again, there is a huge fear amongst teachers where they think, well, I, I know kind of what goes on because I've lived it and I'm kind of, you know, but I also need to kind of, I need to deliver this in an age appropriate way. I need to be prepared for questions. I need to be that person that they can go to as and when they, they have questions. And I need to 
sort of deliver it in a way that is, is incredibly sensitive, but also makes them feel that they can say, actually, hang on a minute, what about? Rather than everyone being very sort of clenched and afraid in these sessions, which I think I certainly, when I delivered um, the uh, the puberty PSHE to year five last year, it, it was not my most confident teaching moment, put it that way. Sure, and that's the thing, it's about, um, knowing how to set up a classroom environment where you can help develop that trust between you and the class as well. So knowing how, you know, and that's at the heart of all of good PSHE is creating a safe learning environment. So, you know, and, and when you're working with uppercase stage two and key stage three and key stage four, it's, it's, you know, it's important that you develop that working agreement with, with the children and young people as well. So they take ownership for that as well. So what sort of things do you want to see on that working agreement, which means that the lessons run successfully. So knowing that, you know, for example, no question is a silly question, but we're not going to ask each other personal questions. And that's making sure that they understand that they're not going to ask each other personal questions in the um, in the lesson, but equally, you're not going to answer personal um, questions as well, because I think that's something else that makes teachers nervous is suddenly thinking that because we're talking about relationships and sex, all of a sudden, their sex lives, their relationships are going to be um, dissected and discussed. And that's not the case. And that is com actually completely inappropriate. You know, when we're in these lessons and we're talking about the subjects, we're always talking about it in a very general sense. And we use depersonalization techniques such as scenarios and case studies you know, talking about, uh, you know, sort of fictional characters to bring these subjects to life and to to discuss them, um, in, you know, in a, in a way that feels safe so that no one feels they've got to sort of share personal information. And indeed, it wouldn't be appropriate to share personal information, you know, in a classroom situation. But equally, we'd want to signpost children, young people to places where they could talk about, you know, personal situations as well. So it's getting that balance right between recognising what the boundaries are within PSHE lesson, but equally, you know, behind that, obviously, there's recognising and identifying and signposting for young people, the support that's out there for them when they need it. And I know Coruma are, are sort of integral in that as well, and that they that they support teachers in in delivering this in a way that they feel confident with, but also, you know, doesn't kind of leave them open, as you say, to, to things that are going to be difficult to, to handle, which is always, it's always, it's always a pitfall, but uh, I think that handled in the right way, it can definitely be be more successful than it's currently being for, for some of us in the teaching world. Absolutely. So, I mean, Go ahead. On our web, yeah, I was going to say just on our website. You know, not only do we have lesson plans that cover the whole PSHE program that teachers can access, so all the lesson plans and resources are there. But we've got loads of teaching video clips as well, so they can dip in and 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 you know sort of do CPD in their own time, and sort of self-directed learning really, just to see how to sort of create um, a safe learning environment, how to answer some sort of trickier questions, how to you know how to use that sort of those. Um, um, interactive techniques that are needed to sort of bring the subject to life. Um, so it's it's not just about having the lessons or resources, but supporting them sort of holistically um, with, with either that online support or, or through the training that we offer as well. Wonderful. And just sort of as a as a as a final point, because I think you've covered most of the things I wanted to ask you very succinctly and absolutely wonderfully, is you know, going forward, and I think again we've touched on this already. Going forward, what would you, what would your, I suppose, what would your, as I'm really putting you on the spot here, what would your advice be for, for teachers or how do you think going forward, if you were kind of to send a message out from you and from Coram about PSHE, about feeling better about it, about 
gaining confidence, what would your, what, what would you say? I think for me, it's about, um, it's about for schools and teachers, it's about making sure that we've always got young people and their voice at the heart of what we do. And also think and thinking about, are we meeting their needs? You know, so we talk about SCARF, which is our online resource as, um, you know, it's a, it, we have what we call six suggested half time units to get teachers and schools sort of up and running with the program. But we're very about, about making sure that once they've got, they become familiar with delivering our resources about how are they can, you know, how they, they need to be sure that the way that they're delivering the program meets the needs of the children that, that, that are in their school. And, you know, every school is different. There isn't a one size fits all approach. So you may, for example, have a, a very mature year five class this year, in which case, you know, they might need to be delivered, you might need to live, deliver year six content because that's going to meet the needs of them at this stage. So it's always thinking, you know, being sort of reflective about the work that you're doing and making sure that um, you're not leaving them wanting more, as it were, in terms of um, they feel they feel that they're getting um, the information they need at the right time for them, you know, because so much of the evidence we know from young people is it's often too you know it's too late and it's too biological and we need to make sure that you know we we are aware of, of child development you know in terms of when you know for example children start in periods we need to make sure they therefore get information about periods before they start you know so and that's the same with other aspects of their lives as well and you know so it's i think for me it's about you know you, you can start with a program you can de de develop your lessons but really you know, capture the voices of young people. And there's a lovely activity you can do with young people, which is like an anonymous question box or an ask it basket. Um, really easy thing to do. Just get an old shoe box or something similar and just give the children slips of paper, post-it notes where they can write questions that they have about, you know, uh, and you can do that at any stage of, you know, any key stage, you know, and with some help, even the lower key stage, um, um, you know, key stage one as well. But what is it they want to learn about? And then once you've got those questions, you can compare that with with this, you know, with the scheme of work, the lessons that you've got planned. And that does it meet their needs? You know, is it fit for purpose? Because we know things are always evolving and changing. And, and with the media as well, there may be some things that are on their mind in a particular year that perhaps wasn't on, you know, the, on their minds last year. You know, so it's it, that's really at the heart of it. And when and when you can see that your program is meet, is answering their question, that's when I think you know you've got it right. Fantastic. And just as a final thing, could you please give me all the social media handles, all the web links, and I will put these in my show notes as well, that, so we can find you, uh, teachers can find your resources and everything that we need to ensure our PSHE is successful going forward. Sure. So um, you can find our website by just typing quorumlifeeducation.co.uk. Um, and uh, if you type in quorum or scarf or any of those kind of words, then um, you would equally find us quite easily as well. We're on Facebook, so CLE, um, and we're on um, uh, Twitter as well. Uh, so just yeah, just look out for us um, using those handles. So, yeah, quorum life education. So it's at, at CLE um, education. Okay. Lisa, you have been an absolute star. Thank you so much for doing this for me. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll get you back soon because this will come up again, no doubt. So I really appreciate the time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So that was the fantastic Lisa Handy from, from Quorum Life. And just to say again, the social media handles, I don't think were quite right for that. So I will ensure that in my show notes, you do get the correct 
ones. So now we're going to open up this discussion a little bit more on PSHG. So I think we're, we're up and running beautifully. I know Jess has already managed to connect herself into the studio. So Dina, when you are ready, I'd love for you to join us as well. Ooh, there she is. Fantastic. All going, all going well at the moment. So I'm just going to make sure she's ready and raring to go. She is there and they are both here and ready to go. So good evening to both of you. Uh, what I would like you to do first of all for me before we go any further and you can decide amongst yourself who goes first to both introduce yourselves for me, tell me who you are, um, sort of whereabouts in education you work and your current role within education. Don't both jump at once. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first if you like. Um, I, uh, um, firstly, thanks so much for having me on. It's a real privilege. Um, Thank you for coming. So I'm Jess. Um, I work in a secondary school in England, in Lincolnshire. Um, and I am currently head of house and a safeguarding officer. Um, I teach a range of things, but mostly sociology these days. Um, but I'm also the trust rse lead for our um like federation so um that's where i'm at um i had tortelloni for dinner i had to eat before i came on i was starving um <laughs> absolutely starving <laughs> i probably have a second dinner afterwards can't lie to you oh um, fantastic good on you <laughs> but yeah so i'm in my ninth year of teaching um and that's me basically uh, aware of many hats by the sounds of it and you're just a little Very bit ahead so. of me i think i'm in i can't remember if i'm six or seven years in that's that's bad isn't it and uh dina go ahead introduce yourself <laughs> hi there um i feel like possibly you've got uh, twins on here so um i too am secondary i also wear a multitude of hats um uh, but yes at the minute i lead pshe at uh, an international school in portugal um, and I think I just did the math. I think this is my 20th year of teaching. So that's me. Oh, fantastic. And uh, yeah, so uh, you're both secondary and I'm primary. So we've still got a nice a nice mix of things. And I think that I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to to open out this discussion and to to talk about a, a variety of different things. So what I want to hear from both of you is how you feel about PSHE kind of more generally as it stands at the moment, kind of where you feel it fits in and why you feel that teachers maybe do experience difficulty with it from, from your perspective. And again, please jump in at any time. Please kind of, you know, take it in terms entirely up to you. We're, we're very flexible here. <laughs> so I think like my feelings on PSHE, obviously I love it. <laughs> Um, but I realise that I'm in a tiny minority of people that love it. And I think um, Lisa talked about lots of the, the issues with it. I think confidence is a massive problem. And I think that comes from a lack of training. I completely agree with her on that. At ITT level, certainly, but also beyond that. Um, like I, I've actually done a little bit of research and there doesn't seem to be a degree in PSHE. Um, you can't sort of study it at degree level. There's a diploma, um, which is taught by the very wonderful Victoria Pugh, um, Mrs. VPSHE, um, at the Uni of Worcester, but that's sort of it. Um, only Sheffield Hallam offers um, a teacher training course that is specifically for citizenship and PSHE. So I think a lack of sort of knowledge, ultimately, 
it's a bit like if you're asked to teach a subject that isn't your subject, which I've done many times, um, it is very nerve wracking because you don't want to get it wrong. Um, and not only do you not want to get it wrong, you've got a piece of paper that tells you you have to deliver things like orgasms and rape. And I don't think there's anything that is more nerve wracking than the fear of getting those sorts of things wrong. Oh gosh, most most definitely. And uh, you know, you mentioned teacher training, and certainly I cannot recall it coming up at all. I, I have absolutely no recollection. There may have been a a token session, but there's nothing that sticks out in my mind where this featured really at all in teacher training. Um, Dina, I don't know what your take on this is about uh, why we're sort of in this in this rut. Yeah, I, I do think those points they they have been hit on in as much as it is um, it is a, a lack of training. Um, from my perspective, like Jess, um, I love PSHE. For me, it's the it should be at the core of education. So for me, pastoral and PSHE should be at the core, and everything else sits around that. But the way education has evolved was all the other subjects. Um, we're kind of on the map already and as we've learned and become to you know and start to understand the importance of it it's ended up being added in but of course added in as a more of what can sometimes feel like a tack on rather than being at the core of of your educational curriculum um, and yeah training certainly is uh, is hugely needed I do feel that with with some of it also, some of it can, yes, you definitely want some specialist training, particularly on your more sensitive topics, whether it's substance use, whether it's your RSE curriculum, um, that's really useful. I think also it's it can be really helpful if the leadership within a school are providing the time for teachers to connect and collaborate in this area in terms of planning both the materials and how they're going to deliver it to make sure that it's um, it's bespoke to your students and also your staff have had chance to air their concerns um, and questions so that you can kind of do a lot of that ahead of time. And you, you've touched on so many things that I mean time of course is such an integral part to, to deliver any kind of effective CPD uh, on any subject area or any aspect of, of school life there has to be the time and the space to to do that and uh, of course whether it fits in with your school or not but also we we talk a lot as as teachers about how before anything else before we even start teaching children that well-being and that uh, sort of day-to-day -day wellness and day-to-day -day health and all the rest of it without that there is nothing else. So how is it we've arrived at this situation where that's become, as we've said, an, an add-on, a tack-on, when actually we almost need to flip things back up the other way and start with that PSHE and build out from there rather than the current model of the other way around? I think what Dina said could sort of hit the nail on the head with that, really. I think the purpose of education has always been to fill the heads of young people with knowledge which provide them with qualifications they need to go on to live the rest of their lives. Um, and the actual living part of that, the living their life part, has been sort of developed over time. And it's become something that we're a lot more aware of now. We're a lot more aware of things like mental health. Um, 
the need for equality and diversity, um, sexual relationships, all of those sorts of things, it's become, as they've become societal issues, they've therefore become educational issues. And ultimately, education has become the way for those things to be delivered in order to solve problems that are ultimately at a societal level. Um, I do think one of the things that also holds it back is that we still are very much stuck in this mindset of examined subjects are more important. Um, what I always say about PSHE is that there is no exam, but the exam's life. And if you've had effective PSHE education, you can go on to live a successful life, regardless of what your qualifications look like when you get them in August or, or however it works in your own settings. Um, but I think the problem that we currently have is that until we break out of the idea that the piece of paper that you get with your GCSE results or your A-level results on it is the be-all and end-all of education, we're never going to be able to prioritise PSHE, um, at least not truly, not on a national level. Um, and it's going to be this very disjointed approach that we've currently got where schools deliver it in completely different ways, some very successfully, some less so, um, because it's not valued because there's no exam at the end of it, um, which is obviously a problem and it's a shame and it's something that we need to overcome I think from the very top of society it's not something that individual teachers or individual schools can necessarily manage by themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that even at primary level we've come to kind of validate education through test results through data and all the rest of it when actually as you say excuse me in the in the grander scheme of things it is those life skills and honestly, certainly at primary level, there are things I'm standing in my classroom and teaching to this day where I think I could be teaching something more useful. I could be having a, a sort of life relevant conversation rather than having to look up what, and I know the ongoing joke is always like things with grammar in primary school, things like fronted adverbials or trying to remember how to teach relative clauses. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, if I'm struggling with this, then surely I could be spending better time or my time you know time could be better spent teaching something that's actually going to help these kids navigate what is increasingly becoming a a, a very difficult world and, and Dina I don't know how you uh, feel about that yeah I, I uh what Jess built on there this idea of things uh you we still have an, um, an education system that is very exam driven and I don't see that changing unfortunately for some time in the in the masses i think there are other schools kind of and approaches that are developing and and appearing uh, in in education but the masses it's not there yet um but i think in our in in pshe's favor is to be able to kind of say that actually kids that are um grounded and well balanced in who they are and being able to cope with change actually while we're still playing this game of education will perform to the best they can um, if all of those kind of life skills are in place. So that's a really big um, kind of plus point advocation for the PSHE education as well and to keep improving it within a school. Oh, most definitely. And, uh, you know, these these children are increasingly I mean, even in the in the wake of COVID, especially. And this is where and I say it time and time again, where I do hope that instead of kind of, oh, well, gosh, that happened. OK, let's just quickly as quickly as possible, get back to the old system. 
surely this, I mean, it's not the only reason, but it is a large part of you know, an excuse in a way to look at these things again, to look at how we're uh, building this curriculum for children that, that we're teaching day in, day out, year in, year out, and actually think about how it could look different and how it could actually equip them with things that they need and give them, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think you can actually teach self-worth and, and things like that, but I think you can encourage children to to build self-esteem and to, to create habits for themselves and a, and a world for themselves that they are happy with and that they can kind of, that they can navigate and move around in, but also with that understanding that things will come at them and things will be, you know, there will be difficulties that arise uh, as well. But um, what I wanted to kind of ask you both next is we've talked about sort of what, what the problem is. We, we're very clear on that. But in terms of your, your own work at the moment in your particular schools, what have you been working on, developing? How, how is it looking in, in, in your schools? I'm, I'm intrigued to sort of see uh, and understand more about models that are, even if they're sort of in their infancy or because we're improving all the time, as, as we know, what has been working for you? And again, either one of you can go first. I do not mind. So I think um, I, I'll speak more about the trust than about my specific school because across the trust, we've got, oh, I can't remember, about 12 or 13 schools, some primary, some secondaries and a special school. Oh, wow. Um, so massive, massive trust. Yeah. So fairly massive trust. Um, and I've got the immense privilege of going into every school in the trust over this week, last week, and next week, to see how they're delivering RSE specifically, but obviously as part of a broader PSHE offer. Um, and there are so many different ways of doing it. So despite the fact that we're all in the same trust, there are, in every school I've been into so far, I've been into four secondaries and a primary, but in all of the secondaries, it's different. So um, in my view, and this is prior to these visits, but also in light of them, the most effective way to deliver PSHE is to have a timetabled slot, preferably once a week, and for a consistent member of staff to deliver it. Now, some schools use a tutor, form tutors, to deliver it. Some use um, dedicated staff, so they might have sort of PSHE teachers. Now, it depends how you think about experts. Lots of people would say you can't be an expert if you haven't got a degree. Um, I would completely fundamentally disagree with that. Um, but in any case, self-made expert teams of teachers that deliver it. I think there are actually strengths to both. So some people are very um, kind of rigid in the view that ultimately the fewer people who are more specialised is better. I, I haven't actually kind of come down on one side of that argument yet. I don't actually know if that is better. I think having a form tutor deliver to their own tutor group is actually quite powerful. Mm -hmm. So it depends how you look at it, really. But I certainly think the timetabled slot is a massive, massive issue that a lot of schools have. And it's just there's no space in the curriculum for it, which is a shame. Um, so then you get models where it's delivered by sort of drop down days or... Um, sometimes a rolling programme or sometimes it's just sort of very ad hoc, maybe delivered through tutor times rather than having dedicated PSHE time. Um, and those models lack a lot of the depth and also a lot of the follow-up that's needed when you're delivering these sorts of topics. Um, so that's my take on it. I think it has to be given curriculum time. I think that also has the bonus of adding status to it as a subject. 
And your role in all of this in, in going into these different schools, is it trying to kind of create something that sort of is, is a bit more uniform and uh, a system that works for, for all these schools? Or do you think it's still going to be sort of a more individualised approach? I mean, I'd, uh, we're certainly going to look to share good practice um, and there will be areas of good practice which come from all of the different academies. Um, but certainly there will be some areas where I will advocate for certain things which which appear to work better, such as timetabled slots. But it's not about making it a one-size-fits-all approach because like Lisa said in what she was talking about, you can't do that because different schools have different contexts mm-hmm. um, and different schools have different needs within their curriculum as well. So my school has an extremely broad curriculum offer in terms of what we offer subject-wise at GCSE and A-level. Um, and also we offer a lot at Key Stage 3 as well. So it is a genuinely difficult ask to fit something else in, i.e. a timetabled PSHE slot. So it just ne- wouldn't necessarily work at, at my school, but it certainly works elsewhere. Um, but no, the aim of the audit is more to... Um, to see where the areas of good practice are, but also to see how it is linked with safeguarding um, and practices that happen around around the safeguarding side of things. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. And Dina, what's 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 happening over over at your school? What are what are you working on in terms of your PSHE curriculum and 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 the things that you're putting in place? So for for our school, we've one of the key things that we've was really important to have in place was a policy to really underpin everything um, both for our staff and for our parents so there's real clarity on what we're doing why we're doing it and which ages uh, and what we're doing it for the different age groups um, now uh, like Jess was saying as well to do with kind of making sure you're meeting particular cohorts needs because they will vary from year to year um, we're trying to make sure that we adjust, you know, the units, the topics, so on and so forth, to meet their needs, so that they are hopefully getting the right content at the right time, and it, you know, it's pitched at the correct level. For the for the kind of model of delivery of how we timetable it and staff it, um, yeah, it's really important that it has a dedicated period of time. Um, for for us, that's what we're we're at now, and for some of the year groups increasing it. And beyond that, I want to then be looking at making much stronger connections with other subjects as well, where it kind of, those particular topics and themes come up. Um, But I think one of the things that massively needs to kind of factor in with how you choose to staff it is how, how much training you can put in both at the start and ongoing. And that really needs to kind of be factored in because if you're looking to do let's say a model where you have your tutors delivering it which definitely has its advantages um, particularly with the connection and the pastoral point of view you've got to be sure that you can provide the ongoing training that is needed for that and if you can't necessarily do that then you're better probably looking at a model where you can have uh, fewer teachers and just train up that that group of teachers to be your your specialists. Um, the other model that we're looking at, we're gonna we've rolled out this year, and we're gonna roll out across a couple of other years, is to have a carousel whereby you have a particular tutor within that year group that will 
uh, lead us, uh, teach one unit uh, over the course of the year to the whole year group. And what's great with that is that you have then um, a teacher who becomes a specialist at it and grows in confidence with delivering it. And also you can ensure consistency of the content every child in that year group has received on that topic. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it's it's all happening at, at your end. And again, the, the, the image I have in my mind from from what you're saying uh, about, you know, those cross-curricular links and everything else, I have a, because I think in, uh, despite not being artistic in any way, I do think in, in images and mind maps. And what I'm seeing, and please kind of correct me if, if I'm wrong, is kind of PSHE sort of in the middle and then everything kind of almost webbing out from that uh, and making it more of a central focus rather than you know just kind of well as we've said tacked on somewhere randomly uh, at the end of the day yeah absolutely I mean because I've had conversations with you know the head of art who you know she's come to speak to me about a unit that she's like I think there's a really good identity element here that we can explore or a relationship between two characters in an English text that they're currently studying so there's all those kind of connections that you can make, which really also help the material come alive for the students so that it isn't just a case of, oh, we only talk about these topics in our once a week PSHE lesson. And that's also really important for the kids. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know how you how you both feel about this, but I often feel that it's, and this might be uh, coming back to my my own failings here, but there seems to be uh, within PSHE, sort of systems that I've used there's a lot of topics and a lot of sort of bits and pieces to to cover but there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of depth a lot of the time and it's sort of a a cursory glance at at bits and pieces and particularly uh, with um, RSE you know relationships and sex education which I know you both touched on and mentioned and uh, I think Lisa mentioned it as well it's uh, because these are sort of nervy, nervy topics, it's almost kind of right. Okay, we've we've ticked the box and it's done. Rather than actually, and of course, no teacher really wants to to spend time unpacking this. But the reality in today's world, and certainly, I've had to have a conversation with my year fives this week about not touching each other intimately, which is never a conversation I thought I'd have with a group of ten year olds, and kind of thinking in my mind, how on earth do I phrase this? And how on earth do I talk about this and unpack this with them without getting a phone call from a parent going, what on earth have you been talking about in school? And why is my child coming home and talking about, yeah, um, having, you know, being touched inappropriately? And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. So I I wonder what your take is on kind of going, sort of maybe having fewer elements, but kind of doing more of 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 a deep dive, as it were. Um, I think, well, you can't, okay, it has to be a spiral curriculum, it has to uh, be something that builds gradually, so yes, that is going to mean that potentially you are going to sometimes do a little bit of a revisit, let's say, the previous year's work, and then build it up, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's relatively subtle, to the point that you'll sometimes have the kids go, oh, we talked about this before, and they won't necessarily always pick up on the subtleties of how how you've actually moved it on and you're looking at it in a more complex uh, way for their age. Mm. Um, so it's actually really important that it's done gradually as opposed to deep dive. But you're right about also, it's really important that teachers need to know the depth to which they need to take it for that year group. 
mm-hmm. um, and for that particular cohort because otherwise what will happen is the teacher will tend to go to the level that they feel comfortable with um, which can sometimes be too little or it can be too much and so that's that's really important to have that clarity of what's age appropriate um, for the kids that you've got in front of you um, to make sure that you can have those conversations that you're talking about um, that are really important because they are connected to safeguarding Um, and and it's also really important that you have the parents in on that that there is communication with parents prior to some of these topics so that they can actually it's a collaborative educational experience for that child I think so and I think that parent element is vital and again uh, it's it's something that we that uh, I've had to deal with recently as well and uh, if I'd had it my way it would have been more of a kind of a case of, of I mean of course in COVID this has been difficult but actually getting them in and sitting them down and, and having a kind of open dialogue with them of course that's now turned into you know a situation where it's usually sent out as an email or as a as a kind of uh, a post on your your sort of intranet or whatever you have and uh, I I do definitely see the importance in that because they when children go home and, and ask questions they want to be to be ready for that and I you know they absolutely have a right to, to, to be ready for that rather than have it kind of launched upon them and uh, also going back to the thing you said about uh, you know going into enough detail or, or too much detail it's all I mean you're always walking that that tightrope and so it'd be nice to have more guidance on that because I constantly feel at the moment with uh with sort of that in particularly kind of upper key stage two that they that is is a constant minefield because they're they're saying things and laughing at certain things and I'm kind of very conscious about them spreading misinformation amongst themselves as well uh but it's at what point do you actually think uh, you know, I actually, you know, I, I've gone as far along this road as I can. And I just, I do feel that that, that guidance is often, often missing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's also where you need to go. It's, it's great if you've got somebody who's a specialist in your section of the school. And yeah, I think when your gut kind of tells you, mm, I'm not sure, it's worth pausing. But kind of if it, for instance, stems off a question, making sure there's no kind of element of shock or shame for that for that child and to just mm-hmm. be I'm going to go away and you know and ask ask someone else because I'm not 100% sure of the answer uh, that's going to be most helpful for you and then you can come back to it and actually I think that's also something that's important to to try and be also open with our colleagues about where we're having difficulties because the thing is generally that you, you know your colleague feels the same and so to share that and discuss what's best as well and that also can be be really helpful um with then deciding how you're going to approach it and sometimes with that it can be a case of you're not going to address it with the whole class you're just going to be speaking to that particular student that asked that question um and but again that can sometimes come out of having a discussion with your pshe lead another person in your year group that sort of thing as well. Oh, most definitely. Jess, I think you wanted to, to uh, add something in there. Yeah, I was just going to sort of go back to what you'd asked about the fact that there's lots of bits and there's not a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually also links to something else you said about students sort of spreading misinformation. I think um, I completely understand 
where you're coming from and like when you look at the PSHE program of study there is so much in there um and I think what's important is being able to draw the links between things Mm -hmm. so for example if you're teaching a session on porn which is on the program of study for key stage four um yeah (laughs) then um like um, Dina said, it has to be part of a spiral. So they have by the time they get to that in potentially year 10 or 11, um, then they have to understand the basics of consent and sex and media portrayal and everything else. But I think what's also important is that you're able to link it to other things they're learning at that age-appropriate stage. So, for example, if you're teaching about pornography, you can also link that with portrayal of women in the media in general, media portrayals of body image, etc., um, which you can link then with mental health, which you can also link with um, sexual harassment and abuse, which is obviously an up and coming area at the moment. Um, and I think it's important to, as well as adding depth to the discussion, to make it clear to them that we're not, these things don't exist in silo. And just because we're talking about pornography, that doesn't mean it doesn't link to everything else we've also talked about, because otherwise they're not able to make those links and see things in context more broadly for them. Um, And when it comes to sort of spreading misinformation, I think that is almost an important learning point for them that, you know, the information you're spreading isn't correct. Well, let's unpick where's that information come from and how can we question sources of information? Um, And I think um, Dina's point about asking for support from colleagues is absolutely fundamental. If I mean, not everybody will feel comfortable asking for help, but I would like to think that everybody's got somebody in their workplace that they could talk to. And I think being able to say to the students, do you know what, actually, I'm not quite sure, I'll go and ask somebody. I think that's really valuable for them as well. We're basically modelling that asking for help is okay. Um, and that we and that we're not experts and we don't know absolutely everything about everything um, and that that's okay as well and that sometimes you can admit that you don't know the answer um, so I think all of those things sort of tie together really in what good PSHE delivery looks like um, and also in how to build our confidence and the students confidence as well mm-hmm. but it's I mean it's it's because I don't think you know any other sort of subject exists where as you say just in the very manner that you're delivering it and that you're you know showing certain things that actually you're showing them look you know I need I need to ask too I still am human I still you know need to need to clarify things as well and, and that's okay and I, I don't I mean it may exist in other areas and I'm just not thinking straight because it's quarter past seven on a Tuesday evening uh, so but I certainly don't yeah I can't think of any other example where I've sort of seen that that in action. I mean, I have often sort of said to children to, to, to go and look things up and, and come back to me in, in other subjects, but it's sort of, you know, I'm usually kind of fairly sure of things as, as I'm sure you are in kind of the other subjects you teach. Most of the time there are occasions where of course not, but uh, yes, I still think that uh, having a, giving people the confidence to be able to, to say to students, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of come back to you on that because of course we, we don't want to, to end up in, in any kind of difficult position. And I think again, that, that fear of PSHE comes from being backed into a corner, whether actually, or just feeling like we are, and then becoming defensive. And it, and that's for me where I think it, it falls apart because there's really no need when you have a, uh, 
when you would have a, a good curriculum and the and the training in place to ensure that actually you can navigate this without without any of those pitfalls. Yeah, I agree. I think um, certainly it probably happens less in your own, well, I say your own subject area. I would argue PSHD is everyone's subject area, but that's just me getting on my soapbox. Um, oh, no, I, I, think, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I, but I think we, because we go to university, especially secondary school teachers, we have a real chip on our shoulders about our subject knowledge because we go to university, we do a subject at degree level, we therefore think we know everything. The students think we know everything because we've got this magical piece of paper that means we know everything. And therefore, any question they ask us, we should know the answer. I think in many ways, I'm fortunate that from right at the start of my career, I definitely didn't know the answer to everything. So I started out as a, as a linguist. Um, and I'm the first to admit that actually my knowledge of the languages was fairly poor. My ability to talk about the culture and the history was fairly good. So I've got a degree that involves all sorts of things that have nothing to do with being fluent in French or German. And they'd ask me questions like, what's the French for stick insect? And I'd be like, I don't know. And a degree in French doesn't give me that. So <laughs> I've always been quite open about the fact that I absolutely don't know all the answers to all of your questions. Um, and since then, I've taught out of subject in a lot of different subject areas. And I think even if you've got a degree in the subject you teach and your degree's an excellent degree from an excellent university or whatever, you still haven't actually probably been taught absolutely everything you need to teach. And I think what it boils down to is that you have to be willing to put the time and the effort in to get yourself up to scratch in it. Um, so if I'm delivering a session on pornography, yeah, do you know what? I do know quite a lot about it because I've done a lot of research and I've no, not like for, you know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, um, Jess. I'm trying to stifle that one. I was just going to say, I hope no, you're wiping so, your search history. My search history makes for interesting viewing, I can assure you. The things I have to research to do this job, I tell you. Um, but, you know, I will look things up and I'll make sure that I know what I'm talking about and I'll know the statistics and I know the sources of support because that's not stuff that anybody can teach you necessarily. Yes, there are excellent training courses out there. There are some fantastic programs available. But ultimately, society's changing all the time. And perhaps unlike other subject areas, it's something that we as the people teaching it, and certainly as leads of the subject, that we need to keep on top of. And it's not something that there's necessarily, go well, there's not going to be sort of exam board training for it, because there's no exam. So we have to take the responsibility to keep ourselves up to date. And that's not always something that comes naturally to teachers because we think that the certificate that hangs on the wall or hides in a box, if you're my degree certificate, um, has given us everything that we need and has given us the right to teach almost. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit complacent about subject knowledge. And I think that certainly is the case when it comes to PSHE. And we have to be willing to actually go, do you know what? I don't know it all, so I need to learn it. Mm -hmm. Dina, I don't know what, what your take on, on that is as a fellow secondary teacher. Yeah, it's, well, I don't know. It's interesting, the whole thing to do with also, particularly, I think you'll find with secondary teachers, like Jess said, um, they, the other things I think they get to, because they get to specialise, um, they can become really quite expert in their area. So, are then moving into doing PSHE, it is, it, you're, you're basically putting someone back to NQT level. 
Um, and that that is really, really stressful. And when it's a topic that you know is so important that you don't want to get wrong, I think what can happen for lots of teachers is just that kind of that that anxiety and stress build to the point that they they will just push it away and not uh, and not want to engage with it, even though they know it's they believe it's important. Um, I find that less so with primary, but that's mostly because um, they they are very skilled at being kind of mini specialists in all these areas. Um, so I find it less so with primary. And I also find primary teachers are very, very good at finding all the connections um, and making links. Um, which but that's because we, yeah, we have to do it on a, on a kind of week. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where secondary teachers can actually learn from primary teachers. And if you happen to work in a school where you have two of the, you know, primary and secondary on the same site, I think they're absolutely missing a trick if you don't have secondary teachers going in and seeing how primary teachers do that because I think that it's it's a real it's a skill that they they have down to a down to a T. Um, so yeah, it's uh, but I think with the other thing is there's a couple of key when I say key tricks. Yes, there's upping your subject knowledge, but and if you can also be willing to go, I don't know the answer. That's that's a real lifesaver. But I think the big one that we also heard Lisa mention was the, the top and tailing of a lesson. Creating that safe space at the beginning, really crucial. You cannot, um, you, that really should never be you know, skimmed over. And having your, your signposting at the end of where to get more support, further information. Those things are crucial. And when you're taking your questions through, let's say your, your, your basket with your anonymous questions coming in, um, being okay to say I don't know the answer or it's a great question I'm going to come back to you building that pause in for yourself as a teacher is once you've got that as you're kind of in your toolkit and you're prepared to use it it can be it's it's it really brings the the stress levels down Oh, fantastic. And I think I think you're you're absolutely correct. And uh, just to uh, sort of round round this up, because I, I mean, I could talk to you both for hours about this, and I'm sure we're probably going to have to come back and, and do this again at some point. So if you're both up for it, I'm definitely up for doing this again. But just if you were to send out, and I know I asked Lisa the same thing, if you were to kind of give teachers a, a sort of a takeaway message from this into sort of next steps or what you feel is kind of how they can get this off the ground or just something to sort of say actually do you know what it's okay you can do this here's kind of how to start because I think that's as with most things is the is the hardest part it's kind of right where the hell do I begin I think um for me my number one piece of advice would be to talk that could be to colleagues but it could also be to a friend um a partner whoever and when I say talk, I mean really talk about the things you're going to be teaching. So sometimes it's really valuable to talk to somebody that isn't a teacher about, especially some of those trickier topics, um, because it gives you a bit of an insight into what somebody who isn't a teacher might think or the sorts of knowledge and questions that they might have. Um and just being able to talk it through, and I'm not saying you practice your lessons to people, although you may have somebody that wants to sit through that. And the that dog's would be a great, great. listener. <laughs> it would be fantastic. <laughs> um, so, but I think when it comes to delivering, especially at secondary level, some of those trickier topics, especially the RSE related topics, but also things 
in health as well. So contraception, drugs and alcohol, um, gambling, all of those sorts of things to just talk it through with somebody and almost sense check it and work out actually where are my where are my areas that I feel less confident so that you can then get support with them? Because if you don't talk to somebody about it, be that a colleague or a friend or whoever, then you're not actually going to realise what your own concerns are a lot of the time until you're in the room with the young people. And I completely agree with what Dean is saying about, and what Lisa said about creating a safe environment. That environment is so, so important. Um, and it's actually, we've been, we've talked a lot about ITT provision. That's what I delivered an ITT session today to, to our skit students on, was how to create that environment. And it's so important that it's safe for the young people, but it's also important it's safe for us. And if it's not safe for the teacher, if the teacher feels so out of their depth and so uncomfortable that that it's not safe, then ultimately they shouldn't be delivering it. And I think we've got to get to a point where, I mean, it would be wonderful if everybody could feel safe delivering everything, but that's not realistic. And there are things that come up in this curriculum which are really triggering and challenging for adults as well. And I think we need to be able to talk to people as a start point to be able to say, actually, do you know what? It doesn't matter how much training I get or how much people try to support me. I'm never going to feel OK teaching this and to be able to accept that and then seek guidance on it and be able to go to the lead or whoever it might be and say, actually, do you know what? This session on self-harm, I, I don't feel I can deliver it. Um, and that should always be sort of listened to by leadership. Um, if people were in a position where that wasn't listened to, there's a serious problem there because staff wellbeing and staff safety for me is paramount because the students aren't safe if the member of staff isn't safe. I think that is a, a very important message. And Dina, your your take on, on that? Oh, I want to echo all of Jess's things and I also want to grab Jess for a conversation outside of this because I think we could go on forever about PSHE and I love for it. Um, so I think probably my one would be to do with that conversation you have um, with your colleagues. One of the things I think that's been mentioned is a couple of times is that, that fear of what are the students going to ask. So what can be a great exercise is to get your teachers and your colleagues to sit there and anonymously question, write your question, you know, on each one on a separate piece of paper, put them in the middle uh, of what you think your students might, you know, what are the potential questions they might ask, and then brainstorm how you would answer them and how you would deal with that question. And some of them, it might be a case of you don't think it's appropriate to answer, but it's something you need to speak to your safeguarding lead about. Mm -hmm. So that sort of exercise can be really fun as a whole group, and everyone then leaves feeling much more confident about how to deal with that topic and those questions. And maybe just to echo Jess's one of get curious, get interested in these topics. I mean, they're just they're brilliant topics about life that we're all, you know, fumbling through and go away and read and research. Um, and I imagine you'll get hooked. <laughs> well, I hope so. And listen, the fact that uh, uh, you two want to have further conversations, uh, Dina and Jess, I mean, part of Teachers Talk Radio is bringing people together. And uh, I seriously hope that you do keep in touch and that you do uh, talk about PSHE and beyond. And of course, I hope that I could have you both back at, at some point and that uh, I haven't put you off 
coming back on the radio or indeed any other radio show. But uh, what remains for me to say to you both is thank you so much, particularly after last week did not go ahead. I really appreciate you sticking with me and coming back and just sharing your 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 expertise. It's been joyful. It's been uh, a CPD session. It's been fantastic. So I will let you both go and enjoy your dinner. Dina, did you did you mention what you were having for dinner or do you not got that far I yet? I didn't. No, I'm going Italian. It'll be pasta with homemade pesto and a mozzarella salad, which I'm hoping I might be able to taste because having had COVID, my taste is shot. So fingers crossed I can actually enjoy it oh bless you I I, well I wish you a a speedy recovery and Jess I know you've had your tortellini but uh, go forth and enjoy many evening snacks Uh, I'm sure you will (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) right thank you both and hopefully speak soon bye 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 thank you Lucy bye thank you both uh, so Jess and Dina there sharing their expertise on PSHE and honestly we could have carried on for hours and hours and I'm sure that uh, we will visit this topic again and I hope that they will both agree to to come back so much to to unpack there and I think that my takeaway from from talking to both of them is that our safety as teachers is absolutely paramount and also student safety, but also creating a safe space where we can discuss the issues that arise in PSHE, but also not be afraid to take a question and come back to it. I think that's vital as well. And I certainly found that enormously reassuring that actually this is uh, an area where the vast majority of us are not experts. And so, and that's okay. And I think that. Uh, Jess made the point of you know we're we're so fixated and even to an extent primary teachers as well although we're not single subject based we're sort of you know jacks and jackies of all trade and masters and mistresses of none but there's so much kind of uh, stuff going on that actually oh gosh to add something else into that is kind of oh gosh really when actually we don't need to have that 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 concern that we we can take time and, and with the right training there's no reason why we can't uh, embrace it as an integral part of the curriculum. So that is absolutely fantastic indeed. Um, Just before I let you all go this evening, I should let you know that actually, this is my last show on Podbean, okay? I'm sticking with Teachers Talk Radio, I'm not going anywhere in that sense. However, I am, as of next week, moving on to Twitter, Twitter Spaces, And so I'll be hosting from there, but I'll be hosting the late show, I believe. And I'm sure uh, Mr. Rogers will correct me if I'm wrong, but it'll be the late show, which will be from 7.30 till nine o'clock in the evening. And what will be lovely about being on Twitter is that it opens things out to more teachers, to more people online. Hopefully we can get on lots of different speakers for each show, which will be fantastic. And it'll all be done through the Teachers Talk Radio Twitter, which I'm sure most of you listening, if not all of you, do follow. And I'm really excited. So the nothing much is going to change really apart from the, the platform. And uh, it's it's going to be great, I think. I'm really excited. I'm hoping that uh, people will join me because I know obviously it is slightly later and people tend to go to bed early. But... I'm sure that you can stay awake to stick with me until until nine o'clock. We can enjoy our herbal teas together and discuss all manner of subjects. Speaking of, and this really is my final point, next week I'm going to be talking about help. I've lost control. And what, what I mean by that, and again, this really the inspiration for this only really came to me today. 
I don't know if it's to do with the summer term. I don't know if this is the because uh, this is the first full school year these children have had in a while. But and I could be the only one here. This could fall flat on its face. But my class are completely wild at the moment, and I feel like I'm in that scene in Jurassic Park where I can't, I can't remember who it is, but kind of batting back the, the the dinosaurs, the little snappy ones. And what I want to talk about, and hopefully people will join me, is how you're planning to get through the rest of this academic year. I want to know what your secrets are, please. I want to know how your creating that cohesiveness to ensure people uh, are being pleasant to each other because my children have taken to screeching at each other across a classroom and quite honestly, I cannot take it anymore. So I'm appealing to you, teachers of Teachers Talk Radio and beyond, to share your expertise with me. What do you do when you feel like you've lost control? So that'll be next week at the slightly later time of 730 on Twitter spaces. I'm excited and I will talk you all through how to access that because I know uh, my dear best friend Eleni, who uh, messages me every week before the show, as you know, has said to me that she is the grandma of technology and that I'm going to need to explain to her in great detail how to do this. But I promise you it's not complicated. If I can do it, anybody can do it. But uh, that is all from me today. Thank you again to all of the guests who have featured. I will leave all their details in my show notes, along with everything that they've talked about, all the links, all the, the bits and bobs. It might be a couple of posts as it, as it normally is, so I can fit everything in. But uh, until next week, it has been a delight as always. I wish you a fantastic rest of the week, and I will speak to you from Twitter next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.